The Near Futurist, a podcast with Guy Clapperton. Hello, and thanks for downloading The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. Today, I'm going to be talking about children, much as I was in the last episode, not that everyone listens to them in order, and this time I'm going to focus on safety. But first, the usual stuff about who you're listening to. I'm Guy Clapperton, a technology journalist, event MC, and media trainer with over 30 years' experience. You might have heard me or seen me on the BBC occasionally, read some of my books, including the new one, The Extraordinary MC, or seen me in The Guardian, New Statesman Tech, and elsewhere. In normal times, I go to a lot of conferences. Currently, I sit here and attend virtual ones and hear futurists talking about their forecasts about the decades to come. I'd rather use my 30 years experience as a commentator to discuss what's likely to happen later this year, early next, and the action we need to take now. So a friend and I came up with the Near Futurist concept. Do have a look at my website at nearfuturist.co.uk where you'll find lots more episodes and information on what we're about. If you'd like to book me as a speaker or MC for your technology event, virtual or otherwise, please check the showreel on the site and drop me a line, guy at nearfuturist.co.uk, that's nearfuturist as one word, or get in touch with my agent, whose details are of course also on the site. And if you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please do consider leaving a review on the iTunes store or wherever you download it from, and if you're one of the people who've done so already, thank you. Well, that's quite enough me, me, me stuff for one day. I just think of it as midlife crisis, pay no attention. My guest today, the one you've been waiting for, is a seasoned marketing professional, which is what we call people when we try not to accuse them of being old. He's held position in Silverbug, SSE Enterprise Telecom, and TNT Marketing, but his current role is, to my mind, a lot more important. He's working as Chief Marketing Officer of the Safety Net Foundation, a group that promotes child safety online. Sexting. Online grooming, cyberbullying, we all know what goes on, and this is an organisation trying to do something about it. His name is Neil Fairbrother. Neil, welcome. Thank you, Guy. Thank you very much for having me. You're more than welcome. Uh, let's start with the basics. I mean, as always, I've nicked the intro straight from your LinkedIn profile. Could you flesh it out a bit? Tell us about what you do. Yes, certainly. These days, I feel that I've crossed the editorial line and I'm less of a marketer and more of a journalist. But my background, as you rightly say, is marketing and I've worked in the TMT industry for many years, uh, mostly in telecoms, either as product manager or as marketing communications or product marketing, reaching the dizzy heights of marketing director and then moving into freelance marketing consultancy. I know that you're from a Safety Net Foundation rather than the Safety Net, which sponsors you. At the risk of giving myself and possibly the listeners a headache, I wonder if you could explain the difference. Yeah, certainly. Uh, well, Safety Net is a safeguarding brand which manifests itself in three different ways. SafetyNet itself has developed some super smart technology, which is deployed as an app on children's phones, uh, which contextualizes a child's conversation and intervenes in real time to nudge the child's behavior and to provide real-time advice and guidance, as well as providing digital well-being exercises. The SafetyNet Foundation is a registered charity in the UK, uh, registered with the UK Charities Commission, and we work either side of that online moment of risk that the safety net software detects and nudges children's behavior from. So what we do is to educate and inform the general public about the complex and dynamic issue of online harms. And we also fund rehabilitation programs for victims and perpetrators of online abuse. The third area that the safeguarding brand of safety net manifests itself is you're probably familiar, Guy, with the Apple Genius Bar concept within Apple stores. 
Yes. We work with a uh, German brand of smartphone stores called iBuy, where we have safeguarding genius bars. So parents that are buying their child's first smartphone, and children are often as young as 10, can have conversations with safeguarding gurus in store about what's going on with online safety and how best to safeguard their children online before buying their smartphone for their child. I don't think anyone with a shred of decency is going to do anything other than approve of what you do and support your aims. But why SafetyNet in particular? How did this start off and who is involved? SafetyNet was founded by a couple, uh, Sharon and Richard Percy, and they are on a mission. They had some experience in a different enterprise of online abuse of children, and they are determined to do something about it. Whilst in principle, I think you're right that most people with a shred of decency aren't going to object to what we do. Actually, in fact, that's not the case. Safeguarding children online is at the intersection of law, technology and ethics and culture. And you'd be surprised at the amount of resistance from some quarters into doing anything that disrupts the status quo that today seems to accept as collateral damage the provision to predators of near unfettered access to children and vulnerable adults. And This really dates back to the mid-90s with the passing of the US Communications Decency Act and in particular Section 230, which sounds a very arcane topic to be talking about, but Section 230 granted immunity to online service providers from whatever is posted on their sites. And that combined with the switch from the subscription service model to the advertising model where the volume of accounts is king is the cause of so many of the issues that we have today. And many organizations are fighting tooth and nail to change this status quo because of the existential threat that they see it poses to them because of the liability issues. So it's commerce rather than, say, extreme libertarianism driving opposition to you. Is that, would that be a fair comment? Yes. Now, the examples I've mentioned early on with my little list at the opening of the show, online grooming and so forth, a mini list, they're pretty straightforward. But there are counterexamples dependent on the culture. For example, the age of consent isn't consistent even between Britain and France and we're neighbours. I'm just wondering how you come to a consensus about what you should actually oppose. There must be a dividing line somewhere. I'm not convinced, Guy, that uh, you're right in your assessment that grooming is straightforward. Uh, So, for example you've got to look at the motivations for grooming. Is grooming there for the sexual exploitation of a child by a a predator, a paedophile? Is the grooming there for radicalisation of the child, as in the unfortunate case of Shimin? Sorry, I mean, opposition to grooming is uh, fairly straightforward, but I'm sure you're going to tell me that's wrong as well. Uh, Okay, so, well, opposition to grooming, yes, is reasonably straightforward, I think. Um, But the age of consent is a little bit of a red herring because it's actually the age of what a child is and in the UK and in fact in France most European countries the USA but not all countries around the age the age of a child is in fact 18 so although the age of consent is there the age of being a child is 18 and there are many laws in place that protect the child on their journey from being a child to an adult which is someone over 18 one of the laws that applies in this space is that it is illegal for someone under 18 to have store and send an intimate photograph of themselves so if you are in a consensual relationship at the age of 17 and you send an intimate photo to your partner 
technically speaking, that's against the law. This isn't really a problem at that kind of age uh, unless the photo is then sent outside of that relationship. If a 10-year-old is sharing those photographs, then I think there's a bit more of a problem. Oh, yes, of course. I mean, as I say, there are the clear-cut areas. I was really asking about the 17-year-old sending to another 17-year-old and they're both consenting. Uh, we might not necessarily approve, but they probably weren't going to ask us in the first place. And that's, as you say, much less of a problem than uh, the, um, the more obvious examples. Um, so one thing I've always thought about the internet, and I don't celebrate this necessarily, is that it's all but impossible to police. I'm just wondering what, uh, you, you, we, we accept that there is grooming, we accept that there is sexting between kids, and we accept there is exploitation. What practical things can actually be done around the internet to reduce this or prevent it? Well, we're talking about online safety of children, and children are always a special case. As, as I said earlier, there are many protections in place for children in the offline world on their journey from childhood to adulthood. For example, a child under 13 is not allowed to buy a pet. How do you replicate that online is the question. It's only unpoliceable if you accept the Faustian pact that says it's impossible that the online sexual abuse of children and the other online harms that children suffer are an acceptable price to pay for what people deem in the interest of freedom of speech. Children don't forget have rights too. Uh, as example, for example, they're enshrined in the UN Convention of the Rights of the Child, a convention by the way, that uh, America is one of the last remaining countries to actually ratify. So from the perspective of online child safety, there's actually plenty can be done. I know, Guy, that a lot of your audience are people that work in the enterprise space, the corporate space, and many of them may have a technical orientation. So just to give some idea of scale, one in 500 corporate issued computers is used to collect, store and disseminate child sexual abuse material. One in 500. And this is, is that because of a security breach? Are they effectively acting as dumb terminals because someone sent a bot out there? Or is, that, is this deliberate? Uh, well, it's uh, often deliberate, and they may well be exploiting weaknesses in IT security. But these kind of images, are there are specialist systems that can detect these kind of images, but these specialist systems are not often deployed within the enterprise space. So one practical thing for your corporate IT audience members to do might be to deploy such a system. SafeNet, by the way, doesn't provide that kind of thing. So this isn't a plug for SafeNet. But to give some kind of scale, a typical find of material on a corporate laptop or a system might be one to three terabytes of images and video. And a large find might be up to 100 terabytes. It's absolutely staggering. Of course, there are already authorities looking into this sort of thing. There's the courts, there's uh, the regulators. Uh, what's wrong with relying on existing regulations? Well, as I said at the outset, part of the problem are the existing regulations. And in many ways, they are the cause of the problem. Section 230, for example. If you look at cyberbullying, which can be so devastating to children that they very sadly commit suicide, Molly Russell for example, just a short uh, year or two ago. Cyberbullying itself isn't a recognised legal term. But if you look at the activities that comprise cyberbullying, then there's all sorts of laws and regulations, but they're difficult to enforce in the online context. I understand from what you were saying to me when we were in the lead-up to actually doing this recording that uh, the regulations and regulators are changing. I wonder if you could elaborate on that a bit. 
Well, that's right. So in 2013, David Cameron made a speech which turned out to be quite a defining moment in British online child safety because he nailed his colours to the mast by wanting to make this country to be one of the safest places in the world for children to be online. And this eventually led to the publication of an online harms white paper in 2018, from which we are very soon in April, I believe, coronavirus permitting, expecting some new legislation that will create a, an internet regulator in the UK, which is likely to be Ofcom. The new regulator, Ofcom, will have significant powers, for example, to hold individual directors of online companies personally liable for the content on their platforms. Now, whether this proves to be uh, effective obviously remains to be seen. Do you see your role will change in terms of fitting in with this new environment? Well, the SafeNet Foundation is here, at least in part, to educate and inform the general public. And the fact that we will have an online regulator doesn't make things any simpler. It might even make things more complicated. Who knows what the unintended consequences will be. SafeNet itself is obviously in it for the long haul and their technology being an AI-powered keyboard is platform agnostic. So it doesn't really matter what the platforms do, whether they go completely dark and fully encrypted or not, their platform will continue to help safeguard children. Let's say I'm surfing the web, and as we used to say in the 1990s, and I come across something that's making me uncomfortable. Maybe it's a child image, something like that. What do I, as an individual, actually do about that? Okay, in the case of child sexual abuse material, then probably the best thing you can do is report the URL to the Internet Watch Foundation's reporting portal. If you search for iwf.org, I believe it is, uh, then you will find a portal where you can deposit the URL. Now, it's very important to regard this material as the scene of a crime that you are not supposed to interfere with. So do not look at it. Do not repeat, go back to look at it again to see if something's happened. Don't store it yourself. Do not keep it. Just report it and move on. Let the experts handle it. And you never know, you may have helped rescue a child. Well, that would be marvellous, but uh, doesn't your computer automatically uh, take a cache sort of snapshot of many of the websites you've looked at just so it doesn't have to load them all over again next time around? Clear your cache. Yeah, okay, fine, clear your cache. That makes sense. What if I'm a child and I find the same thing? I mean, I'd have a different need. You know, I'd need protection. What what if your kids have found the same thing? What do they do? Okay, in the case of a child, it's a little bit more difficult because if they're being subject to grooming, they may not feel uncomfortable at all. There's a common misconception that a child being groomed feels uncomfortable. You know, if if someone's talking to you online and they're making you feel uncomfortable, leave the conversation. That, unfortunately, is not the case with grooming. Grooming actually feels nice. Hmm. A successful grooming operation makes a child feel special and they won't feel in the slightest bit uncomfortable at all. If they do find something, though, that is uncomfortable, then they should definitely turn to a trusted adult or organisation to get some help and assistance. So I suppose an awful lot of this is actually about communicating with your kids and making sure that you've got a rough idea of what's going on online in their lives. You've actually nailed it there. Children are social media savvy, but life naive. Parents tend to be social media naive and life savvy. What needs to happen, and this is part of the aim of the Safety Net Foundation and also SafetyNet's intelligent app is to educate the child on behaviour and the parents on social media and get the two to have meaningful, intelligent and trusting conversations. So my next question was, if I'm a parent, how do I know my kids are safe? I have a feeling I've just answered it by saying talk to them or better still listen. Yes, basically, uh, you don't really know that your kids are safe. It's as simple as that. Any child 
from any family, from any def- demographic, if they are online on any social media app or game with a social media aspect, they are at risk. Now, there are things you can do that can stack your odds in your child's favour, but there aren't any guarantees. And as you rightly say, do engage in conversations. Don't pry, don't spy on their activities because that will alienate them. Uh, as I'm sure you would understand, we've all been children, we've all been teenagers, and we remember not appreciating the intrusion into our private lives. But you do have to have that trusting, intelligent and informed conversation about what children are doing. Look for offline signs, changes in behaviour of a child. Clearly, adolescents are going to change in behaviour anyway, so that's kind of difficult. But look for stuff. Where did those pair of trainers come from? That Apple Watch. What kind of physical gifts are given in the grooming process. The problem, of course, Guy, is that some gifts are online or invisible. They're paying for in-app purchases or in-game purchases. That can be used during the grooming process to gain the trust of a child. And unless you have those informed and open and honest discussions with children about their online activity, then you won't know that someone has bought them the next level of a game that they're desperate to reach. Okay, finally, um, if you could tell us something about where listeners can find out more and maybe get involved or find out about uh, yourself, your activities and um, the organisations. Yes, thank you, Guy. Um, Well, please, if people could go to safetynetfoundation.org, we have a lot of information there. We have advice and guidance from subject matter experts and indeed from young children themselves and teenagers themselves. We have assessments. I think we have about 100 assessments of different apps and online games in terms of the risk that they present. And also we have an ongoing series of in-depth podcasts where we talk to subject matter experts about the legal, technical and social aspects of this complex and dynamic topic. And they are well worth a listen. I've actually given those a listen after you've listened to mine, of course, everybody. Indeed. But they are very very good. Thank you, Guy. uh, Neil Fairbrother of the Safety Net Foundation, thank you very much for joining me. My pleasure, Guy. Thank you very much indeed. And many thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futurist podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. Don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk and I'll be back in two weeks' time. Music